Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing author and speaker Amy B. Cher. And the two of them will be discussing her memoir, This Is How I Saved My Life, which chronicles her journey from California to India to try an experimental stem cell treatment to treat her late-stage Lyme disease. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And hello, welcome to Sunny in Seattle, everyone. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live or you want to go back and listen to it again, you can always go to the show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. And uh, I want to mention to you guys um, about my book. I know I've been uh, mentioning it a lot, and I will continue to do so until it's released in January. But you can still grab a copy for free if you would like um, uh, get that electronic copy. And the book is Unhitched, Unlock Your Courage and Clarity to Unstick Your Bad Marriage. Um, and it's written for anyone who is feeling a bit unfulfilled, stuck, unhappy in their marriage or really any uh, long-term relationship. Um, and it will meet you where you are. Um, so if you're considering whether to stay or go, um, I've got tools and exercises in there for that, all the way through to a graceful divorce, if that is what ends up being in the highest and best interest of everybody involved. Um, and it also shares my own story, which I've talked about a lot on the show. But um, I encourage you guys to grab that free copy at unhitchedbook.com if it's something that you or someone you love um, might be able to benefit from. Um, and then, Benny, I also realized I was coming into the studio today and Chase texted me and said, uh, this is the first time you're seeing Benny after the Apple Cup. And, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that yeah, was I didn't a want game, to bring it up, Benny. but thanks for appreciating that for the two of you for bringing that up for, for a, sore, a little open I'm wound there. Sorry, oh, no, Benny. it's okay. It's not like I can have control over the entire thing. Oh. Going back real fast for your book would be a great yeah. idea for a stocking stuffer for those, you know, like maybe oh. slip it in for like, you know, a little stocking stuffer right leading up to New Year. Yes. Maybe. So I'm just well, thanks, Benny. I will say the, the print copies are now available uh, for pre order on yeah. Amazon um, and they'll hit bookstores in January yeah. so um, yeah that's what I'm that's saying you just slip that in there and be yeah. like hey look to the you know 2019 yes exactly well, uh, thanks, but Benny. traveling back to the Apple yeah I'm a little bit bummed still about that but you know what we still have uh, another bull bid that's yeah. looking pretty good so and I don't know like UW has a pretty important game today too so yeah they're playing Utah yeah. which we were able to take care of just fine but yeah. we'll see all of our local or regional sports up here. Okay, sorry, Benny. Wow. As a Wazoo fan, I always have to check in. <laughs> no, with you. no, it's fine. I had snow in both my eyes that day. So. <laughs> I know there was that was that was crazy to it watch. Was it started out like heavy rain, a torrential downpour, and then it turned into a freaking sleet, blizzard. and then it was a snowball. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the bright side to that entire game was what uh, the uh, WSU band did in honor oh, of gosh, University yes. of Washington's band, which um, there was a an, a bus accident on the way over the day before. Um, or was it Thanksgiving Day? It was the Thanksgiving yeah. Day. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving. And so they were heading over to Spokane to have their dinner plans before they traveled down south to Pullman for their game. Yeah. And one of the buses uh, crashed. It tipped yeah. over. And um, everyone's okay. No yeah, one, yeah, yeah. No one, no one, no yeah. Everyone's all right. So it was great because a lot of the some of the uh, smaller towns where the accident happened, uh, there were uh, some Facebook pages that were popping up that are dedicated for WSU fans and so forth. Mm-hmm. Like, if anyone's in the area and has leftover food, to to bring it to the to yeah. the to, uh, the team and the band and, and some of the um, people in the community reached out and uh, they were able to get some of it out there and then also um, the band our band did a tribute for their band because they didn't go to the game they ended up deciding not yeah, to yeah the attend. University of Washington the rest right. of the band did not attend the game but they were able to learn some of the moves I believe and or songs I think it was oh. the songs yeah and they also did like uh, an arrangement of the band of the field for uh, University of Washington oh, too so and it yes. made national attention too so good on uh, WSU for you know sticking to a, a big community I know it's a big rivalry for us but when it comes down to it it's family and, and friends yes. first and uh, we just I mean, you can't get any more, you know, loving than that, especially yes. during the holidays, too. And so, but that should be all the way, you know, every year round. So, yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's great, Benny. I didn't realize that the mm-hmm. streaming feed that we watch doesn't show the commercials or the halftime. 
Um, and so we, I didn't realize they'd done that. Yeah, a lot of people like beautiful. took uh, shots of the uh, and tweeted out the photo of them at halftime and so forth like that. Because basically, where the University of Washington band would be sitting was empty. Yes, I. Because they at a collab uh, came to an agreement where, like, you know, if some of the band members can't make it, we're all not going to show up, right, which right. makes a lot of sense, you know, because right. they're family too. Yeah. So it was good. Well, all very around. good. Okay. Um, okay, so on to our amazing guest for the day. I'm so excited to bring you guys Amy B. Share, and she is the best-selling author of How to Heal Yourself When No One Else Can that came out several years ago. Um, and then the book that we're going to be talking about today, This Is How I Save My Life. Um, as an expert in mind-body-spirit healing, she is often lovingly referred to as an accidental guru. She uses energy therapy techniques to help those experiencing emotional and physical challenges to move on and heal permanently and completely. She's been featured in CNN, The Huffington Post, CVS, Cosmopolitan, The Los Angeles Review of Books, and more. Um, and this is pretty nice, a little feather in her cap. Her books have been endorsed by uh, New York Times bestselling author Elizabeth Gilbert. You might know her from Eat, Pray, Love. Um, and I'm going to probably mispronounce this name, so I do apologize. Uh, Vikas Swarup, uh, who was the uh, uh, person behind Slumdog Millionaire. Um, and then, of course, other notable authors. Just <laughs> look at her website or at her Amazon page, and you're going to see all of the endorsements she's received. Uh, she lives in New York City with her beautiful wife and two bad cats. Um, I relate to that. We have three bad cats. Uh, she teaches at retreats and conferences nationwide. And most importantly, she lives by her self-created motto, when life kicks your can I say that on air? Yeah, sure. Yes. Kick ass. Okay, you're great. Go for it. Uh, no, sometimes... As long as you're not directing it towards anybody. Okay, that's okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. Sometimes we get bleeped because of the FCC, so I wasn't sure if ass was one we could say. I think say. you're okay. Okay, so her self-created motto, when life kicks your ass, kick back. Feels good, didn't it? It does. See? Yeah. One of these days we'll be able to say them all. But anyway, uh, and if you want to find out more, check out her events, find out about the rest of her work and her amazing story. Um, just go to her website, which is amybshare.com, and I'll spell that for you, A-M-Y, B as in boy, and then her last name is spelled S-C-H-E-R, so amybshare.com. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Yay. Well, okay, so I'm going to start with a really important question. Um, I understand from reading the book that you were a fan of the Golden Girls. I am a huge fan of the Golden Girls. <laughs> huge, huge, huge. <laughs> I got such a kick out of that when I was reading it because I, too, um, have owned the box set since college. And um, we actually, my partner and I just went to um, Golden Girls Trivia Night at one of our local pubs last week. And <laughs> out of serious? Yeah, and out of about 40 teams, we came in third. So nice. I was pretty excited. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Stay I golden. Love it. Stay yes, golden. exactly. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes. How fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. So anyway, I got a kick out of that in reading you. I, I could picture you, you know, when you said that at times when you were, you know, laid up that uh, you were watching the Golden Girls, and I very much relate to that. So, Yep, I have it all memorized now, I think, but it still doesn't get old. It's still, like, I think the best show that was ever on TV. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's It soothes, it soothes my soul when I, when I watch it, and yeah. So anyway, for those out there, if you haven't ever watched Golden Girls, check it out, man. I can't imagine anybody hasn't watched at least one episode. But... So who's your favorite? Oh, I can't. I I really honestly can't pick a favorite, but I think I always stood, Blanche stood is always the one that right. I think I related okay. to or loved the most. But anyway, what about you, Amy? Real quick before we move on, Dorothy, oh, all the way, Dorothy. Dorothy that's awesome. <laughs> They're all amazing, but I think Dorothy has to be my favorite. Blanche oh, Devereaux. I know. Oh, so. Amy, you know, I'm sure that most of our listeners um, are familiar with your work, but, you know, I, I have to say I had some familiarity with your work before reading the book in preparation for the show, but I didn't realize how extensive your health complications, uh, the diagnoses were, and you were in your 20s. Um, could you just give us basically the rundown of what you had suffered from to get you to the point where you were finally diagnosed with the Lyme disease? And, you know, all the treatments, you sought treatment from the the best facilities and doctors that the United States has to offer, including, you know, the Mayo Clinic and Northwestern. And so can you just give us some background on what you were dealing with when you started this healing journey? Sure. And it's so funny. I hear this a lot about, wow, I didn't realize all you went through. And it's, it's interesting because I speak all over. And as I speak, I often speak with um, a dear friend of mine who's an author as well. And she sometimes says to me, 
you don't talk enough about what was wrong before you got better. And I, you know, eventually realized, oh my gosh, I always gloss over that part. Like that happened. I almost died and now I'm okay, which is like, you know, I guess it's, it's probably good that it's my personality, but thank you for asking so I can make sure everybody understands where I actually was because I do tend to just kind of move past that part or summarize it. So I had chronic Lyme disease, which means at some point, even though I didn't realize it, I was bitten by a tick and only certain types of tick transmit Lyme disease. But I didn't realize that that's what I had because it's can be very difficult to diagnose. And so what I thought I had was all of these different diseases or conditions, which manifested in um, difficulty walking for me, difficulty with balance. I had very, very, very bad nerve pain. I had a cardiac condition, um, lots of autoimmune issues with um, like an inflammatory response. So everything hurt. I had arthritis. Um, all these different things in all these parts of my body, the doctors, when they did scans, found lesions on my brain. And I was, for much of the almost decade that I was ill, I was bedridden for quite a bit of it. It didn't mean that I couldn't, like, walk from the bedroom to the bathroom, but for a lot of it, that's all I could do, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of a situation where all the different parts of my body, all the systems in my body were affected from my heart to my brain to my nerves to, you know, sort of everything in between. But the biggest thing for me was that I was in horrific pain. I had a condition that caused my nerves, the sheath of my nerve, which is sort of the outer protective mechanism to unravel, which means your nerves are exposed. Mm. Then it causes a lot of pain. And it was diagnosed as its own condition, but I only later found that it was because of Lyme disease that I had that, but it affected all my limbs, essentially. Yes. And and you were on, how many narcotics were you, or the, the, the amount of pills that you were taking for pain relief on a given day? I didn't even know that was yeah, really possible. I know. I didn't even know you could, and I'm, and I'm tiny too. Yeah. Like I'm less than five feet. And, you know, at that time when I was sick, about a hundred pounds and I was on, I mean, sometimes I would take up to 20 in a 24-hour period, which is just, you know, it's amazing how your body gets used to those, but that would just sort of barely take the edge off. That still meant that I was in such pain, it was hard for me to walk and I couldn't sleep. And um, But sometimes enough narcotics would take the edge off. Of course, it was hard to participate in life when you're on that many narcotics and still in that much pain. But when you're in that place, it's just like you're trying anything all of the time. Yeah, and one of the things that I that you shared in the book that I mean I, I have to say like I I was really pissed off for you even though that's not my job but yeah you went to Mayo Clinic and they were very dismissive and said nope you just need some physical therapy and as if all of these things that had come before were not real like ah oh, I just wondered did you take your medical records back to them to this terrible doctor. I I never (laughs) did. It's so funny. I wanted to. And then once I moved on and I heard so many other stories, this is not an uncommon story to hear about Mayo Clinic, which really surprised me. Um, and, And other big medical institutions. It's not just Mayo Clinic, but Lyme disease is a very controversial disease and diagnosis and how to treat it. There's so much controversy around it that just many of the large medical institutions don't touch it because mm. it's it's just one of these things that nobody can really agree on how to diagnose it, what to do about it, when it's really cured. And so in hindsight, I realized those weren't the people to go back and pr- like, I don't think it would have done anything. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but then you did ultimately experience what you call that jackpot moment in a chronically ill person's life where they finally, after all of these various conditions and diagnoses, they got to the root, of, and it was the Lyme. So can you tell us a little bit about how that came about and then where it led? Sure. So it took me about seven years to be diagnosed correctly. Previously to, be, to being diagnosed with Lyme disease, I was diagnosed with a lot of other conditions. I was diagnosed with types of neuropathy and arthritis and, and, and then almost diagnosed with every other thing in the world. So when you get medical testing, they usually do a process of elimination to figure out what you actually have because a lot of times, especially for these sort of confusing multi-system conditions, there isn't always a test for it. So they test for everything else 
and scare you that you have everything else. And then as you, as you, as they come back and say, okay, well, we thought you had that, but you don't, you don't, you don't. That's how sometimes you get a diagnosis. But what I discovered with Lyme disease, which is very important for people to know, is that the standardized Lyme disease testing isn't very accurate. And everybody pretty much agrees to that. So what happened was I ended up seeing somebody who suggested, a doctor who suggested that I be tested with a specialty laboratory that specializes in tick-borne illnesses Mm -hmm. that has different types of testing than sort of the standard run-of-the-mill that your, you know, your blood lab has. And when I was tested properly, it came back as a positive for Lyme disease. And I call that my jackpot moment because I feel like, at that point, I couldn't deal with what I had until I knew what I actually had. I really, really needed to have a name because I was so insistent that whatever it was at that point, if it just had a name, I could find out how to cure it. And over time, my my sort of philosophy about healing shifted so much. But at that time, I just wanted the right name for it. Right. And and I'm actually going to hit pause for just a moment here because I forgot to mention, Amy, um, for those out there listening... Um, Amy has so very generously offered to give away a free copy of the book that we're talking about here today. This is how I save my life. Um, And so we're going to be giving away a book in the second half of our show after we take our break at the bottom of the hour. And um, so just be at the ready. I will give the number out now so you can write it down so you can be ready when we announce the giveaway. For those who think that they may want to call in for that book, the number will be 888 298 5569. That's 888-298-5569. And we'll announce that giveaway a little later in the show, but I just wanted to give a little teaser so that you guys can be listening and know that you can call in and get that and hopefully give that as an awesome Christmas gift to yourself or someone you love or a holiday gift for someone you love. Um, okay, so back, Amy. Um, so you you ended up in, in Chico ultimately, and from there, the journey Looking at it, reading it from the book perspective, while you were going through it, I don't know if you had the experience that you were being guided, but it felt very much like you, like breadcrumbs were appearing along the path that you were following that ultimately led you to India, which is where most of the, the beautiful story that you share takes place. So can you share a little bit about how that actually happened, the dots that connected to take you there? Sure. So I do think at the time I had this trusting that something would have to work out (laughs) or, or, I mean, it just felt like this can't be it. This can't be like the end of my life. It was in my twenties, you know? Um, And so I, I really feel like for all of us, there are always dots we can connect. And sometimes it takes a little bit longer for the breadcrumb or the dot to show up that Mm -hmm. you need to go to next. And I think that's where we can all grow and evolve and learn is that, Sometimes we have to be okay in the in-between spaces when we don't know what to do. That I wish I knew. But mm. at the time, I did know and feel that something something was happening. So when I was in Chico, I was getting – that was where I met the, the practitioner who said, I think you should be tested with a specialty lab. And I was going through some treatment there. And um, I, you know, was a writer at the time. And my parents decided that they were going to send me to – Hawaii for a writer's conference. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was such a ridiculous notion that here I was on, at that time I was on 44 different pills a day, like supplements and medications and painkillers. And I thought it was such a ridiculous notion that somebody in my state should fly, should, should even leave the house to go further than the grocery store, let alone fly to Hawaii and try to go to a conference. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but my parents, um, the Jewish guilt is a, is, a, is a big lure for saying yes sometimes. And my sweet parents decided that I should really go and that it would be great. And so I did. And I barely spent any time at the conference because I spent most of the time in my hotel room, in the bed, or sitting by the koi pond thinking, well, if this is all I see of Hawaii, I'm going to have to make it enough. <laughs> and right. at the one sort of session that I was able to attend, which I showed up at the wrong time for, another woman showed up at the wrong time as well. Mm-hmm. And what when we started chatting, she mentioned to me that she had just come back from a hospital in India where she received a stem cell transplant 
for a spinal cord injury she she had. And she was in a wheelchair and we started talking and I said, you know, I have Lyme disease and it's been so hard to heal and nothing's working because at this point I've done, you know, everything that the best doctors have told me to do and I still wasn't better. And she said, oh, the doctor in India knows about Lyme disease. And I was thinking, no, like hardly anybody I've been to in the U.S. knows about Lyme disease. And the ones that do haven't known what to do with me. Now I'm going to go to India and trust somebody there knows. But it was so serendipitous. And at that point, I felt like, what do I really have to lose? This is so ridiculous. And my whole, oh, this whole journey has been so ridiculous that, that I did it. I took a leap of faith and I decided, you know, to go to India. I raised the funds to go. It was not, you know, it was not inexpensive. Of course, insurance didn't cover it, but much of Lyme disease is not covered by insurance anyway. And I decided I would do this crazy thing as a last ditch effort to save my life. Yeah. And I love this, that you you write that the only thing left to do after all that was totally ignore any practical rationale that told me I was absolutely and completely insane for doing this. And you did it. <laughs> and, and I just have to ask for someone out there who feels that in a, a, a calling, uh, an intuitive hunch, something that makes no rational sense. What would you tell someone out there who's feeling that, whether it's around a health issue or something else entirely? How did you know to follow it? I think that I just, there was enough of me that felt like it was right that I was able to block out all of the crazy thoughts about how wrong it could be. And I also think even though it's obviously terrible to be suffering the way I was and I was so young and I wasn't sure I would live through it, it afforded me a luxury to not put as much pressure on myself as I might have had I not been in such a dire situation. And I hope that doesn't come across the wrong way. But it was kind of like, well, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm probably going to die anyway. (laughs) So I think that I should at least die knowing I tried every single thing. And so it was really interesting because at those times in my life where my health was the worst, it was often easier to make hard decisions. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, but that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, So you get to India and this is so I just I have to tell you one of the my favorite parts of the book is reading about your relationship between you and your parents and your parents, who I believe you said didn't even have a passport, packed up no. and went with you to India <laughs> on this yes. crazy adventure. <laughs> and it, I know. I always say I don't think it was a family vacation they signed up for. But <laughs> when I said I wanted to go to India, I mean, amazingly, they just said, if you're going, we're going to. And we all set out on this adventure together. Oh, and I love that. And so you get to India, and there's this um, really interesting doctor, female doctor, uh, Dr. Shroff, who is in charge of your treatment and and, um, is kind of leading the charge in the stem cell experimental therapy, because you were the first person with Lyme that had come through this particular clinic or hospital. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I loved it that you get there. And so Dr. Shroff has this thing that she continues to tell you that, and and I'm just going to quote. So she says, the stem cells can do their part, but you have the power to heal yourself, Amy. And she repeated that pretty frequently, right? (laughs) Yes, to, to the point of being a broken record, for sure. <laughs> and you and I've told her that many times. <laughs> yes, and it's it, from reading your journey from the outset that you didn't. I don't know. It, it didn't seem like you had a lot of faith in that statement, but then it clicked. After this was years later, it clicked, and I just I'm curious. You know, she said you had the power to heal yourself. Can you speak a little bit about that? What is the power to heal ourselves that she was talking about? Sure. So, so she would say, you know, the stem cells, as you read, the stem cells can do your part, but do their part, but you have to heal yourself. And I was thinking, I did not come to India to heal myself. I came to India for the stem cells to heal me. This is the, like, what did I just get myself into? I paid all this money. I dragged my poor parents to India of all places for their first out of country experience. <laughs> oh God, that's intense. And now this person tells me I'm going to heal myself. So, I mean, I am a Virgo sun sign. I'm very logical. I I love science. And I always saw Lyme disease as a physical condition that needed the right physical cure. And when she 
you know, was talking about healing myself, I was like, this must be some kind of like Eastern philosophical BS I've gotten myself involved. Like, I don't even understand what I'm supposed to, I didn't know what it meant, but I also didn't know how to do it. And I wasn't comfortable with an, a medical doctor telling me to heal myself when I had come to her to heal me. So all of it was a little bit confusing. But what I learned as I went along is that you can have the best medicine in the world, which I had had even prior to getting to India. But unless you also work from the inside, that medicine, that medicine, you know, isn't, isn't a guarantee for a cure and might not even work. And what that means is, and I always explain it this way, is that we have to meet our medicine or our mm. healing halfway. We have to do our part because our physical bodies are really a culmination of our thoughts, emotions, and, and you know, and who we are at like a soul level or, um, you know, our emotional patterns. And for me, and this doesn't mean that physical illness is, is our, as our fault at all. Absolutely not. But because we, our spirit and our, and our personalities live inside our physical body, we do have something to do with it. And what I realized was there were a lot of patterns in my life, emotional patterns that I had to work with in order to make sure my body was the best healing environment so that any medicine, stem cells or anything could help me in the way I wanted. Yes, and I want to dive into that on an even deeper level, um, but we're at the point of taking our break for the show. Um, so you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm here today with Amy B. Cher. She has a beautiful memoir released this year called This Is How I Save My Life, all about her journey from California to India um, and the experimental stem cell treatment that we've been discussing here um, in this segment. Um, don't forget that when we come back from the break in our second half of the show, we will be announcing the book giveaway of the, this beautiful book, This Is How I Saved My Life. Um, and I'll give out the number again when we come back from the break so you can have it at the ready for when we announce it. Um, and I think that's it. So let's go to break and we'll be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit standuptocancer.org slash American Airlines to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. 
Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 11.50 a.m. You guys are both singing. Best intro ever. I have to say, okay, so Benny, Amy, (laughs) Benny is always on point with whatever the theme is for the show or if we bring something up, he will always go pull the music that relates to it. And I have to say, after this is almost four years doing the show, that was the best (laughs) ever, my favorite that you've done, Benny. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, I, I give a lot of credit to the technical advances that I work with on a daily basis. Yes. Okay, so back to our story. So for those out there listening, I'm talking today with Amy B. Scherer. She is um, the author of the book, This Is How I Saved My Life. Um, And we were just talking about, um, oh, and don't forget, guys, we're going to be doing our book giveaway um, on this segment of the show. Um, Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Um, So, Amy... um, you're where we left off in the story is you're you're currently in India. You you're spending a significant amount of time there receiving these the stem cell treatment. And you actually experienced um, some the the um, it, it helped a lot. Let me, and it, yeah, yes. it definitely did. Yeah. So what what difference did you see uh, while you were in India? What were what happened? So while I was in India, I was there for almost nine weeks, and I was staying in the hospital, and my parents were staying at, like, a little bed and breakfast nearby. And so twice a day, I would get stem cells, um, stem cell injections, and then I would go to physical therapy as well. Physical therapy was something I had done at home for years, but they sort of integrated into their stem cell therapy program. And so um, I saw, you know, much improvement in the pain. So much improvement in the pain that I was able to wean down way, way, way down and then eventually off the narcotic painkillers. Mm-hmm. I was able to stop taking my cardiac medication. I had more energy. I had previously had a lot of food allergies, which happens to many people that struggle with a chronic condition because your immune system just kind of goes haywire and starts to think that foods and smells and substances and things like that are dangerous when they're really not, but a confused immune system can do that. So I started to be able to eat more, not only more in terms of being able to consume more calories because I was a bit underweight, but also be able to eat different things, things that I had been previously allergic to, which was a lot of things. And so I saw some really, really great improvements. And generally, I really felt intuitively and physically that my body was like coming back that I was really the I felt like it was sort of being infused with life again like I felt that and I've talked to people who haven't gotten stem cells and start to heal from other things and can really feel just sort of that energy and that life that that life that will to live in that life force come back and that's what I experienced. Yes, and, and as you put it, there was a moment there where you experienced uh, the distinct feeling of health again, and, and that seemed to be a, a turning point um, in your journey. And yet, um, so you, you have this distinct feeling of health again, and you have um, some amazing things happen during that time that I definitely want to touch on. But I want to fast forward a little bit to when you had, several years later, you started experiencing some symptoms again. And this feeds into kind of what we were talking about before the break. Um, And I'm going to read a little passage here from the book. Um, When your symptoms return, you write that um, this harsh realization leads me to an epiphany so grand that it almost blows my head off. If treating the body doesn't resolve the problem, then maybe the body alone isn't causing it, which means maybe, just maybe, the problem isn't my body. It's me. I have to save my own life. This idea terrifies me, but instead of ignoring it, instead of running away, I listen because running away from my feelings and often away from the truth of my life has to come to an end. It has to come to an end because I finally understand that this is what's been making me sick. That uh, when I got to that point in the book, because it's I mean, you the majority of the book, you're you're we're spending time with you in India and you get to this point And I was like, holy crap, I didn't see this coming. I thought the stem yes, cells were going to do it. I didn't see it coming either, Sunny. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, so before I let you dive into that, I'm, I'm making eye contact with Benny back here in the booth. OK, so Benny is ready for our lucky callers who are going to win a copy of this 
is how I save my life. Um, so the number to call in to get your free copy of the book, and this is for one lucky winner, sorry, not everyone who calls, one lucky winner, 888-298-5569. That's 888-298-5569. And I have to tell you guys, um, I have a running list of favorite memoirs, um, and this one hit that list when I finished it this week um, before the show. I really do recommend you guys, even if you're not the lucky winner of the book, please read this book. It is so, it's not only entertaining and and very engaging and funny, but gosh, there is some amazing content. Okay, we've already got, I see the lines are lighting up. So anyway, whoever that one lucky winner is, (laughs) good for you. Okay, so back to you, Amy. Um, Okay, (laughs) that was was a bit of an epiphany. What happened? (laughs) Yes. So, so. I came to a point, so when I left India, I was doing really well. And I came home and I just went back to living my life because my whole goal had been to get over the Lyme disease so I could go back to my life. That was my goal. I was going to India to get a cure so I could get back to my life and move on with it. And that's what I intended to do. And so it was about a year after I got back that I relapsed, never to the point that I started off at. But I definitely, it was like, oh my gosh, what do you do when you've gone across the world and tried the last thing you could ever try and it didn't do what you wanted it to do? Mm-hmm. And at that point was when I had the epiphany that it had to be something. There is, there is no separation between us and our physical body. And it had to be. I was a common denominator in all of these years of illness. And again, that isn't to blame a person with illness. That's just to be smart because if you can work from the medical angle, but also work on or look at your inner landscape, that is so much more effective than just waiting around for some magic pill or treatment to cure you. And so those words of Dr. Schroff kind of came back to me, you can heal yourself. And I thought, well, I guess I'll try this now because there was nothing else I could do. And when I talk about you know, it's, it's such a vague term, healing yourself or looking at who you really are or looking at your inner landscape. And what I mean by that is looking at how you live your life, at what emotional baggage you've been carrying, at what kind of, what kind of patterns you have that maybe aren't working. For me, I was such a perfectionist in my life. I was so upset if I would upset somebody in my life. I always, I never wanted to rock the boat. I always wanted to make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. I put so much pressure on myself to be successful and to be perfect. And, and all of these various things that I sort of realized that the weight of who I was or how those patterns that I carried were having an impact on my physical body. And science does tell us that stress, not the typical stress of like, I have so much to do today, but the stress of trying to keep up in terms of like, I have to be good enough. And the stress in terms of carrying fears in our body, that type of stress has a direct effect on our immune system. And our immune system is sort of the gateway to all of these different conditions and illnesses. And so I realized that my old patterns, including trying to always, you know, keep, keep the peace and not rock the boat, was creating a situation where all of my emotions from my whole life were stuffed and stuck inside my body and how, and it made me question what kind of effect that was having on me. And when I decided to address that instead of chasing every cure out there, because that by this time I realized that wasn't going to work. That's when everything really changed. And that was a huge turning point in my, in my sort of long-term healing. Yeah, and I was reminded, you know, in reading and getting to this part of the book, um, one of my favorite interviews that I've done is with Dr. Kelly Turner, who wrote a book called Radical Remission. And she looked, I'm sure you know her well. (laughs) I do. Yeah. And so for those out there who aren't familiar or didn't hear that interview, don't know her work. So she looked at folks who had cancer and had what she calls a radical remission. She doesn't call it spontaneous because most of these people have been Um, seeking treatment, whether it's traditional or alternative complementary treatments, for many, many years. So it wasn't like a sudden thing. But um, she found that in studying um, over a thousand cases, and probably by this point she's in the thousands of cases of radical remissions, 
there were a certain number of factors that all of these people did, and I think she identifies, I believe it's nine. Is that right? Is it nine in her book, Amy? I can't remember exactly, but it's somewhere around there. You're close. Yeah, so it's about nine. And the interesting thing is that only two of these nine factors, and they are things like, um, you know, uh, the, the nutrition that we consume, um, the uh, the herbal supplements that we support the immune system with, um, uh, spirituality, uh, d- the desire, um, things to live for, not just not wanting to die, but having things that you want to live for. She identified all of these factors that, that were in common for all the folks that she found who had a radical remission. And only two of them were physical. And I, that just blew my mind. Only two out of the nine were physical. And it just really reminded me of the, the journey that you then went on. Um, and and what you, you said this earlier, Amy, our physical bodies are the sum of our lives, and our lives are the sum of our thoughts, beliefs, and emotions. And so what did that look like for you if someone's out there going, okay, so I'm not, I don't just want to chase the physical cure anymore. I want, to, I want to heal myself. What were some of the things, the practical things that someone can do or that you did that can bring in that element to heal yourself? So one of the major things that I did was I learned techniques. And my dad was a therapist, so I knew all about talking about your feelings and sharing and whatever. But I learned techniques that actually helped me release old stuck emotions or trauma from my body. When I talk about trauma, this is a word that's used a lot, I never had anything terrible happen to me. I grew up in a loving family. My only complaint was that in my teens, I was really claustrophobic. And I remember my parents saying, like, why do you think? And I was like, I think when I was little, like, you guys always, like, hugged me and cuddled me and, like, <laughs> picked me up. Right when I fell and my mom would always say, oi, vey, we cuddled you too much and screwed you up. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I just want to say that that those of, even those of us who have not gone through anything traumatic, like abuse or neglect or, you know, anything, things can traumatize us. Um, you know, you know being embarrassed on the playground in second grade, something like that can stick with us and make us feel not good enough or fear of talking to people and perfectionism and being afraid to speak up for yourself in relationships. And this doesn't mean that you have to get out of every relationship immediately that, that you're, that you can't speak up in. This means that we can change things within ourselves. We can clear some of that fear energy or the emotions or the, you know, the patterns that we have to be less reactive to the world around us, to have less stress inside our bodies. So I feel like it's not a problem to have a busy, stressful, quote unquote, life in terms of your job. But what I ask people to look at is what's behind that. So if you're running around to please everybody at work and please everybody at home, then, you know, and, and, and the actual tasks of doing too much to do that, are, are stressing you out. It's probably not the tasks that would make you sick. It's not that you're running to and from everywhere and you're trying to do all this extra work. It's not the extra hours you put in. It's why are you doing that? Do you feel like you have to do that to prove your worth? That's the type of thing and pattern to look at to clear. So a lot of people will, will come to me and say, you know, I have chronic fatigue and I need to learn to work less. And I say it's probably more beneficial to, to figure out and release why you feel like you have to work so much. It's not the extra hours. There's lots of people who work 60 hours a week and don't get sick. It's the drive or the pattern behind it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I love that you were clarifying this because we often talk about stress, but I have to be honest, Amy. I mean, this is the sphere that I work in. I often have associated, oh, the stress means the busyness of it all. But what you're explaining is that it's actually that what's under what's what's driving it. There's something else underneath it, not like you say the hours spent, but what is the emotional pattern or the b- motivation or behind it um, that's actually creating Absolute. the stress. Absolutely, and I think what's happened is as as you know, scientists and doctors have talked more about how stress affects us. We've created almost like a false idea of that stress will make us sick. And that's not necessarily true. You can have a busy, crazy life and be super healthy. It depends It depends upon how you feel about what you're doing and why you're doing it and all of those different factors. It's not 
necessarily the physical exertion of working late or the physical exertion of having a busy household with three kids. It's not that. The patterns that affect you more in terms of your immune system and your nervous system and your digestive system are patterns like perfectionism that then cause you to possibly work a million hours a week and not be in alignment with it. So a lot, it's, it's just important to make that distinction because when doctors would tell me, you know, stress can really cause illness, I was afraid to do too much. Right. When I got better, I was really afraid that every little stressor would put me back into bed and it took a while to discover that's not what it is. It's, it's who we are and how we run our lives and how we feel and what we do with those emotions in terms of either stuffing them or dealing with them and releasing them. That's the stress factor we need to look at. Yes. And, and you mentioned just a moment ago perfectionism. And I'm, I'm curious, Amy, you know, do you see you have worked with thousands of people who have health conditions that they're trying to heal from. And do you see some specific emotional patterns that are pretty repetitive for people who struggle with health issues? Absolutely. If you want me to share a few, I can oh, please, definitely do please, that. Oh, please, please, please. Okay, so one of them is definitely perfectionism. Another one is believing that everything's your fault. So when somebody else gets that around you, you believe it's your fault. When something goes wrong, you believe it's your fault and you have to fix it. And what I mean by believing it's your fault is this is, I see this especially amongst either A, just sensitive people. Some of us have sensitive souls and we, we take everything on, everybody else's emotions, and we want everybody to be happy. And also, another sort of subset of people is people who grew up with a, a parent that was either an alcoholic or had issues with depression where they really felt like they had to tiptoe around the household. And when a parent was upset, they felt like it was because of something they did. And then these people grow up to be adults who are kind of walking on eggshells in life, and that's very, very stressful. So perfectionism and feeling like it's my fault, I have to fix it, I did something wrong to make this happen, I have to be perfect to be safe or to keep things steady, that's one thing. Another thing which I never um, really got until, like, sort of, I didn't really get until later in my healing, was suppressing anger. I was one of those people that always said, I'm not an angry person, I, and I am really even keeled. But what I realized was that I never felt comfortable being angry. So I spent my life making excuses for people who either hurt me or for things that I was upset about. And instead of just being angry, I pushed that down or pushed that away because anger wasn't a comfortable feeling. And suppressed anger is one of those things that can really, really stress the body. And so what, what I learned from that specific emotion was that any emotion that we try to push away because we can't logically um, sort of make peace with it, like we don't want to feel it or it doesn't feel us or it feels bad or we don't know what to do with it, if you suppress any emotion and they get stuck in your body, that is the kind of stress that can really affect your physical body. And so it doesn't mean you have to tell everybody every time that you're angry, but a really, really healthy pattern is to just say, instead of, well, I shouldn't be angry, he or she didn't mean to hurt my feelings, just to say, I'm sure, it's even to yourself, I'm sure they didn't mean it, but I'm upset anyway. Just to allow that emotion to exist, and this goes for anything, fear, anger, frustration, just to be okay with feeling your feelings was probably, you know, one of the biggest things for me and is one of the patterns I see over and over and over with every single person I've ever worked with. They don't feel comfortable feeling their feelings. And then all those feelings from their whole life get stuck in their body. And that's just too much for anybody's body to carry. Yes, yes. Um, so I want to make sure, as I'm looking at our time, Amy, that people know um, that you've got, uh, for those of us on the West Coast, we're, uh, we're very close to 1440 Multiversity, right near Santa yes. Cruz, California. You've got an event coming up, and it actually feeds into another question I wanted to ask you. Um, so for if you want to join Amy in person, um, the next event that's near us will be January 13th through 18th here, just coming up real quick in 2019 um, at 1440, 1440 Multiversity. And it's called How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety. It's a five-day retreat. Um, and this also pairs with the book that is soon to be released in 2019, 
how to heal yourself from anxiety. Can you speak a little bit about what folks can expect there, uh, not only at the retreat, but in your new book? Sure. So I, I sort of didn't mean to become a specialist in anxiety, but that's a lot of what I work with people on now because most people come to me and say, I have anxiety. I'm really afraid. I, I can't relax. And anxiety, I always say, is not fear. Anxiety comes from suppressing emotions. It can be anger. It can be sadness. It can be frustration. Anxiety comes when your body feels anxious because you have stuffed down emotions that are trying to bubble up and out. So anxiety is sort of the byproduct or the symptom of the unhealthy pattern of suppressing your emotions. And so I work, yeah, and it's a different way to look at anxiety. And that's why a lot of people have such a struggle healing from anxiety because they just keep saying, I have anxiety, I have anxiety, anxiety. But we need to look under and see what is causing my body to feel anxious, what emotions are underneath. And so the next book, How to Heal Yourself from Anxiety When No One Else Can, is all about that. And my five-day retreat at at 1440 Multiversity is me with the participants for five days, helping them gently identify and release all of what's under anxiety to truly become free and move on. And this is for people who have, quote unquote, just anxiety and no physical issues or for and also for people where the anxiety has now sort of manifested as physical issues as well. That's really that is, Amy, that is a life changing definition of anxiety. Like that is the first time I've ever heard it described that way. And it just makes me think, you know, when most of us, if you have a primary care or someone who's more uh, Western allopathic medicine, if you say you have anxiety, don't we just usually give some type of an anti-anxiety med so you can't even feel the emotions that are coming up under, or th- that nobody even talks about this? Right, right. And I think it was my discovery. I've never heard anybody else look at it this way either, but that's why it's so important. I tell people because people feel so bad about themselves. Why am I so anxious? Nothing even happened. Like people will say to me, nothing happened to give me this anxiety. And I always say, but it was a subtle thing over time where your life just happened. You just didn't know how to deal with emotions or release them. And you didn't have the right tools and all this stuff got stuck. You didn't do anything wrong. And the reason you're not healing from it is because you haven't ever actually addressed what's under the anxiety. The anxiety is not the problem. The anxiety is the byproduct of the real problem, which is we need to clear all those emotions out. Oh, that is just, uh, that is awesome, and I love it. And um, I, there is a good chance I may be in that area at that time of year. So I am, <laughs> I don't actually. I would love that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I suffer from anxiety. That's never, I, I wouldn't. But I actually think that this would still be really helpful, and I kind of want to go. So I can... Yeah, and it's really interesting. Anxiety is not just doesn't just come out in, I'm anxious, I can't sit still, I can't relax, I'm fearful. A lot of times, and I write this in my book, I give examples, it comes out in perfectionism, not letting people help you, micromanaging. I mean, those are all things that sort of manifest, you know, from anxiety. So there's a lot of sneaky ways anxiety can show up, even if you don't feel like I'm anxious. Okay, um, I'm intrigued now. So, uh, <laughs> and I can't wait to read this new book. So, we have come to the end of our time together. Amy, thank you so much for being on Sunny in Seattle today. Thank you so much for having me. This was the most fun, and I would love to do it again sometime. Yay! Okay, when the new book comes out, we will get that uh, all hooked up. Um, so, perfect. <laughs> awesome. You've been listening to Sunny in Seattle today. I was joined by Amy B. Scherer, and that's S-C-H-E-R. The website is amybshare.com to find out more about her books, to find out about the events. And uh, what a ball it was today to talk about uh, her amazing memoir, How I Save My Life. Thanks, you guys, for listening. Go enjoy your weekend, and I will see you next week.